Uh, I think all of us feel that way. Father, I do pray that as we study your word tonight, Lord, even as your mercy and grace was shown to Nineveh, we need your mercy and grace in our lives. We need it in our nation. And Lord, uh, as we've been maneuvering through a pandemic that has affected not only Colorado and our community, and Lord, we hear about it all the time, the surges. And, and, and Lord, I, I, I do think about those who are working in the hospitals and medical fields that are dealing with this. I thank you for their service. I thank you for their, um, just their dedication and their training. Uh, as I've talked to some, that uh, it's been hard. It's been difficult. Lord, we pray for your strength for them. And I do pray that this, uh, this numbers would just begin to decrease and that you would bring healing to our land. We need spiritual healing. Uh, we need to turn back to you and call out to you that um, uh, uh, recognizing our need for you. And, and Lord, I pray that you bring healing from this dreadful uh, pandemic that uh, has uh, affected us in so many ways, and uh, physically, even spiritually, uh, emotionally, um, and Lord, we want to keep our eyes on you. And I pray that tonight, as uh, those who join in, uh, taking the time to study your word, that you would touch our hearts with your word. And Lord, that you would uh, just speak to us. I know this speaks to me, some of the attitudes that I have that are not um, godly or right. Uh, and you want to bring correction to me. And you want to show me things. So I thank you that we have your word, uh, even as Paul would write to the Corinthians, is for our admonition uh, to teach us and to show us your heart and your ways. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we went through chapter 1. Of course, uh, Jonah was told by the Lord to go to Nineveh and to uh, speak to Nineveh the words that the message that God had for that city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians at that time. Of course, we have talked about going through the books of the prophets, how the Assyrians, who ended up taking the ten northern tribes of Israel off into captivity uh, after this, uh, after Jonah, uh, that they were very cruel, they were very violent, and we're even going to see, in it, as we read, that the king acknowledges that we're, we're evil, we are wicked, we are very violent. And so here is Jonah told to go and cry out against Nineveh, and he gets in a boat in Joppa, uh, which is on the coast of Israel, and he goes to Tarsus. He, he didn't want anything to do with Nineveh. And as we discussed last week, probably because, as we're going to see his attitude towards Nineveh, even when the city turns from its wicked's way, that he's angry about that. And he wants Nineveh to be destroyed. So there's important lessons for you and for me. Number one, that uh, as we are told by the Lord to have compassion for those who don't know him and, and to compassion for those in the world, sometimes we think, well, they deserve judgment. They deserve you know, the wrath of God to come upon them. This individual, their wickedness, their evilness, their you know, all the, the, the things that they do, Lord, get them. And, and we can have those feelings, but we need to understand that Jesus Christ came and died for all. And there's opportunity for them to repent and turn and turn away from their wicked ways. And that needs to be our hearts and should be our hearts towards others. But we, we can have a heart like their Jonah, and we can have opportunity to speak to them 
And we say, no, we're not going to do that. And that's what Jonah did. He got into the boat. He sails away. A storm comes up. God brought that storm. He's asleep in the, in the boat. The sailors wake him up. And he says that the storm has come because I'm running from God, the God who created heaven and earth. And they end up throwing him overboard. And one of the main, main lessons that we learned last time is this, that whenever we're running from God, the enemy, the devil, will have a, a, a fish ready. He'll have something ready for you. He'll have a boat ready for you. He'll have a large fish, you know, uh, a boat ready for you to escape is, is what I mean. God brought the large fish uh, to correct Jonah. But the enemy always has something ready for you to escape. And there is Jonah in the bottom of the boat, and he doesn't care if the ship goes down or what the case is. So they throw him overboard. The large fish swallows him. And as we continue here in chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. As we pick it up here in chapter 2, here's Jonah in that large fish. This is what God had prepared for him because God's bringing correction to him. And as he's there, it tells us that he's in the belly of this large fish for three days. Then he prayed. And, I, and as I ended last time in the teaching, that you know, here's a guy that's really stubborn. He's sitting there. It stinks. He's bleached. He, he is going to describe what it was like. But he's so stubborn, he, he's there for three days. Then he cries out to the Lord. And Jonah needed to be broken. And another reason why the Lord will bring storms into our lives is to bring that brokenness to us, to where we call out to him. As long as he was in the bottom of the boat, and as long as that he was asleep in the boat, he wasn't going to cry out to the Lord. But here we see that in his brokenness, and he calls out to the Lord, and he says that, Lord, I, I uh, you know, gave my own... Um, uh, I've gone my own way long enough. And, and he begins to present his heart to the Lord. Uh, and he, he prays to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And it was like being in Sheol, as he says, in the belly uh, of that fish. And he says, Lord, you've heard me. And let's continue his cry. For you cast me into the deep, verse 3, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. And all your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. As we read this, you cast me into the deep. You see, it wasn't the sailors that actually did it. It was God that did it. And we know that he knew that he was in God's hand. He knew that he was rebelling from the Lord, uh, trying to run from the Lord. It's like you, Lord, you're the one uh, that cast me into the deep. And so I turned towards verse 4. I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and you can picture that. Uh, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me uh, up, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So he starts to repent. I, I've been cast out of your sight. I've turned towards your temple. In other words, Jonah remembered the Lord. And I think that this is a reference perhaps to about 100 years before this that, that Jonah 
uh, would remember 200 years before this, would remember the prayer of Solomon when he dedicated the temple. And Solomon, in dedicating the temple, said that if you turn towards this place, the temple, then God will hear you and healing would come to you. So he speaks of the temple. Uh, Yet I look again towards your holy temple there in verse 4. And he describes that seaweed is wrapped around him. He's bleached the gastrointestinal juices. He stunk. Um, Being in the belly of that fish, hot. It must have been like being in Sheol, as he describes it. And then in verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. One of the things that when we are fainted, when we are weak, it may not be because we're being disobedient. It's because of trials, because of difficulties. Or maybe it's because the Lord is correcting us and we come to that place of repentance. But when we cry out to the Lord, he hears us. And that brings comfort to me. That, Lord, that when I come to that place where that I have been corrected by you, I need to repent, or I'm just going through the trials of life and the loss of life and the difficulties of life, when I cry to you that my prayer goes up to you, it doesn't just bounce on the ceiling. Uh, It doesn't just go amiss, but Lord, you hear me, and Lord, you are there to receive that prayer as I put my trust in you. And here he begins to repent from running from God, and he will do what God told him to do, and that is that he is to go to Nineveh. Uh, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Uh, And as he says, those who regard worthless idols in verse 8, forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out into dry land. So his soul fainted. There's nothing he could do except uh, cry out to the Lord. And he knows that, uh, as he did, that the Lord would hear him. He does it, it's interesting at this point here, that he does it with the voice of thanksgiving, remembering God's mercy and grace and goodness and salvation. And and I find that interesting because, you know, he he says in verse 9, I give thanksgiving, I will pay uh, what I have vowed, salvation to the Lord. You've saved me, you're merciful, you're good. And we know that Jonah, he acknowledges that, But here's the problem where the Lord's going to continue to minister to Jonah is that when it is extended to others, well, he has a different different idea. And that's where uh, I know that for me, I am very grateful, thankful for God's salvation, his grace and his mercy that has been extended to me. But extended to that group of people or to that individual Man, you should bring wrath and judgment upon them. And this is what really Jonah speaks to me about, is what our attitudes and tendencies can be. Um, And the Lord desires for us to know his heart. And that's what we're going to see as we continue reading here. So he has this difficult journey, and he ends up where he started out, back at Joppa, as the fish would come back to the to the shore. He would vomit um, Jonah out of his mouth. Here's Jonah back to the starting point, probably around Joppa. And he has to make this difficult journey now to Nineveh. 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15 declares that the way of the transgressor is hard. So as we move into chapter 3, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So God's grace and mercy, he calls and speaks to Jonah a second time. In other words, God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't just let him drown out there in the ocean or, you know, die in the belly of that large fish. He wants to work through him. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has been uh, patient with me and long-suffering with me, uh, giving me second chances when I blew it uh, the first time, that he's not done with me. He didn't fire me. He didn't say, you're done. It reminds me of, in the New Testament, John Mark. John Mark was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, and John Mark was with them for a little bit, and then John Mark left them uh, and went back to Jerusalem. It is, does not tell us why John Mark did that. But when the second missionary journey was to begin, uh, Barnabas said, I'm going to go and get John Mark and bring him with us. And Paul said, no, you're not. And Barnabas said, yes, I, I want to do that. And Paul said, no, you're not going to do that. He's not going to go with us. So there was a contention that was between Barnabas and Paul. And so Paul would take Silas and go his separate way. And then Barnabas would take John Mark and go a separate way. And we know that uh, the contention was so strong that they ended up God worked through it to where there was two missionary teams that went out. But there was that contention that was between uh, Paul and, and Barnabas initially. I believe God brought healing to that relationship. And the scriptures gives evidence of that. And even as John Mark, uh, Paul said he's not going to go with us, God wasn't done with John Mark. Now, why did John Mark leave Paul uh, on that second missionary journey? Whatever the case was, Paul was not happy with John Mark. Some suggest that John Mark was afraid uh, because Paul, whenever he went on a missionary journey, you know that he would go through great affliction and difficulty and persecution that John Mark maybe was immature to where he couldn't deal with that. Um, that's a possibility. Again, maybe he was afraid. But I think that perhaps another reason could be is that John Mark from Jerusalem, that in the early church, the legalism, um, the Judaizers were uh, questioning Paul, coming in behind Paul's ministry and saying, well, they still, those Gentile Christians, have to be circumcised. And that was a point of contention. And perhaps John Mark was, some have suggested, was still you know, thinking like the Judaizers and needed to grow in the grace of the Lord. But at the end of Paul's life, Paul specifically in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he calls for John Mark. And he says, come, bring him, because he's useful to me. So God still works, and he works in us. I'm glad he gives us second chances. Peter, who was denying the Lord and uh, there at Caiaphas' courtyard, denied him three times. But yet the Lord would use Peter uh, to be the leader in the early church and didn't give up on him. So God's grace and mercy, he always uh, is working through us and doesn't give up on us. But the Lord uh, here, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Um, what exactly was that message? Is it the message that Jonah's going to preach here? He doesn't say that you are to cry out against Nineveh, but preach the message that I give to you. We always want to be sensitive to what God wants to say through us. 
So he's going to make that journey. He arose, verse 3, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in, ex in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh will be overthrown. So Nineveh was a great city, a very large city, over a million people. It took three days to walk through Nineveh. It's very spread out. And he cries out against Nineveh. He says, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. In other words, it's going to be destroyed. Is that the message that God gave to Nineveh? There's nothing about repenting or nothing about turning to the true and living God. No, no compassion. Remember, as we've gone through some of the books of the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, they wept for the nation when God was speaking about judgment. They wept for the people. And it reminds us that we know that here's the thing. God is perfectly capable, capable of judging people, and judgment will come. As we spoke about on uh, Sunday, the judgment of the nations, that there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And God is the only one that can judge justly and rightly. And we know that uh, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need my help. But here is um, the message of 40 days and, you know, judgment's going to come. And there is no real compassion that he has for the people, no desire to turn from their wicked ways. And we're going to see that. That's very obvious as we continue here. Here's the thing. Those who are lost, God will judge sin. The good news for you and for me is Jesus came and died for many. He died for for. Uh, you know, made propitiation for not only our, our sins, but the sins of the whole world is what John writes in his first epistle. It doesn't mean that we're all saved, but those who come in faith and repent and turn to Jesus Christ and cry out to him that there is forgiveness. And he died for all of our sins. And those who reject Jesus, judgment will come. And it's an eternal punishment, remember what we read on Sunday? that the goats will go off into eternal punishment. And God is going to judge sin. And we are grateful because Jesus took the judgment for, for you and for me. And we are to look at others in a way of compassion. You know, we can be upset at people. When I see those who do wickedly, and, and I get that anger as well. I, I, I understand that that, Lord, they've done so evil, and, and we have those feelings. But to keep things in perspective, that Jesus came and died for all, for those who are lost, even if they're so rotten, because the eternal consequences are great. So as we go into verse 5 of chapter 3, the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So they hear the message of Jonah. Forty days and you'll be overthrown. Judgment is coming. 
And they believed God. They repented uh, from the greatest to the least of them. They put on sackcloth, we read, sat in ashes. In other words, they humbled themselves. And the king makes this decree, and they threw themselves on the mercy of God. Maybe he will relent, not give us what we deserve. In repentance here, true repentance, I think there's four things that we see when somebody repents from their sins. Number one, you, we see humility in verse 6 here. That we see that they laid aside, the king did, his kingly robes. Uh, he laid it aside, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And the people showed humility. Uh, putting on sackcloth, sackcloth, excuse me, and as they, you know, would sit in ashes, that was a sign of humility. It was a sign of humbling themselves. It was a sign of repentance. So number one, there's humility as we humble ourselves and we say that, Lord, what I have done is wrong. Lord, what I am doing is sin. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to you know, try to explain it away. It is wrong in your sight, and we humble ourselves. But in sackcloth and ashes, it also speaks of mourning. It speaks of that I really am sorry for my sin. And, and Lord, I've broken your heart. I've broken your word. And that's the way that a child of God should see sin. We shouldn't just have the attitude of, well, I went out and sinned. It's no big deal. You know, we all mess up. And, and uh, you, you know, it's just nobody's perfect and all this. Uh, nobody is perfect. And we all mess up. But the thing is that we should be brokenhearted over sin. And there is humility as we repent. Lord, oh, Lord, um, I mourn because I hurt you and I hurt other people. Second of all, there is confession. And confession simply means to be in agreement with. And they're confessing. They said that we need to turn from our evil way and from our violence as they cried out to God. So there is confession. And confession means that, Lord, I am in agreement with what your word declares, that this is sin, this is wrong. And oftentimes what I will hear from people that they, they know that what they've done is wrong, they'll make excuses. Well, I got angry because uh, they make me so mad. Or, uh, you know, I sinned in this area because of him, because of her, because of the situation. Nobody understands. It's not making excuses. It was Adam. Remember that the Lord said, Adam, did you eat of that tree? And it was Adam that made an excuse. He said, well, it's that woman that gave me the fruit, uh, the, the woman that you gave me, Lord. And confession means that I've done wrong and it is sin and I confess it and I agree with you, Lord, that it is wrong. It's not but and and him and ha and make excuses and trying to explain it away. Thirdly, to turn from evil, you turn from your sin, you turn to God. Let's turn from our evil way and turn to God. And that is that uh, you just say, I'm going to turn direction, Lord. I'm going to do things your way. I'm not going to continue in that sin. I'm not going to continue down that road of carnality. I'm going to turn to you and do what is right. It is very important when we repent that we do things in the way that God wants us to. Not to just be remorseful to where, well, I'm sorry and I know it's wrong, but I'm going to continue in it. That's not repentance. Repentance is you turn from that sin and you turn to the Lord and then you turn to 
the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing, reverence for Him and living in the fear of the Lord. And then fourthly, plead for the grace and mercy of God. He's so merciful and graceful to us uh, that He extends uh, salvation and forgiveness to us. Verse 10, as we close chapter 3, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. And that's the fifth thing, that God saw that they had really repented. It's not a matter, I'm going to repent, and then you don't do it. That's not repentance. But are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Can God see that you've really turned from your ways, and that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, as he did not do it. And so he saw their works. Uh, repentance is, uh, again, an action to do what is right. When Paul was talking about the Corinthians, about repentance in Second Corinthians chapter 7, he said God, godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Sometimes people are sorry for what they did, or they're sorry they got caught, but there's not really repentance they continue in it they're not they're sorry for the consequences but not truly turning to god having a heart for god godly sorrow produces when you are have a sorrow for your sin repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted and listen always remember this christian and i need to remember this all of us that you will never regret repenting from sin you won't regret it because God's going to honor it and he's going to bless it. And as we repent from sin, it, it's, it's the good way of the Lord. You know, it gives us peace. It gives us direction. The enemy wants us to keep making excuses. He wants us to keep going in a direction that is wrong and, and sinful. Because uh, he might put that deception in you, well, this is going to be better, it's going to be easier, or it's not a big deal, whatever it is. But we are to repent, and then as we do that, not to be regretted, um, but to just experience the, the mercy and blessing of the Lord and the peace of the Lord. So here, as we see that God relented from bringing disaster upon them, sometimes people will say, well, see, God changed his mind, or Jonah was a false prophet, he gave this message 40 days and judgment is going to come and it didn't happen. Well, that's not exactly what's happening here. Remember in Jeremiah chapter 18, that uh, in verse 7, that we read that the instant I speak concerning a nation, God says, and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plan it, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So God's not changing his mind here. And he's not making Jonah to, out to be a false prophet, giving him a false message. But here he's doing and working according to his word. And all of a sudden, one of the great revivals of all times takes place. And the sad part is, is that the following generation after this turned from God and they would continue in their violence and evil and they would destroy the ten northern uh, tribes of, of the house of Israel and God would judge them about 150 years after this. 
So chapter 4, we see that God, his heart towards Nineveh. Now we're going to see Jonah's heart towards a city that was saved by God's uh, mercy and grace. But it displeased Jonah in verse 1 of chapter 4 exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, what... Not this what I said when I was still in my country. Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So in chapter 2 we saw that, Lord, you're good, you're, you're, you're uh, merciful. And, and Jonah is given thanksgiving to the Lord concerning that, but Jonah now is displeased and it's an interesting reaction because any evangelist would be ecstatic if a whole city turned to God. And Jonah is mad. He's angry. God turned from his anger towards the city. Jonah now turns to anger. And Jonah wanted God to bring judgment on them. And we can look at this and, and think, well, what about that person who did so evil when they turn to the Lord, Lord, they deserve, you know, what's coming to them. And, and we think that God can extend mercy to them. And we see that the reason that he fled Tarshish was because he knew that God was merciful. Jonah was the one that was to be the, the object and a representation of God's compassion and grace. But yet he, he doesn't have compassion. Jonah knew God, that he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. We know that God would declare his name in Exodus chapter 34. He declared his name to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And now here, Jonah, he just wants to die. Interesting here as we read this. He says that, you know, Lord, I knew that you would do this. Um, and as we read in verse 3, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He, he just wants, you know, just go ahead, kill me, God. When he was in the belly of the large fish, he prayed to live. Now that he's camped outside of the city, a huge revival has taken place, he wants to die. And so God, the deal with Jonah, again, interesting individual here is as he knows, God, you're merciful and gracious, and this city just got saved, but just kill me. I knew that you were going to do this. And, and yet there's Jonah that's inside of me at time. And, and, and it's like, Lord, you need to deal with this the way I would deal with it. And one thing that I've learned is that, uh, that I'm not God, and it's a good thing. Because he is merciful and gracious, and he desires to save. Remember when uh, James and John, in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, that a city of Samaria didn't receive Jesus and the disciples. And it was James and John called the sons of thunder that said, shall we call down fire and consume these people? You know, that, that can be me. Lord, let's just burn them up, consume them, do them, you know, burn them all up. And the Lord said, you don't know what spirit you're from. I came to save. And it was John who was called the sons of thunder, James. James would be the first of the apostles to die. But John was the last of the apostles to die as an elderly man. And he was known in the early church as the apostle of love. God really changed this heart. And I pray, Lord, change my heart. I want to see people the way that you see people. Yes, you're going to judge sin. Yes, we're going to declare what is evil. 
Yes, we're going to stand for what is right, but I want to see people the way that you see them, Lord. And, and Lord, through the eyes of your grace and compassion and your mercy and long-suffering and goodness. And in verse 5, as he says, Lord, just, just you know, go ahead, do me in, uh, wipe me out. And Jonah, in verse 5, went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plan and made it and came up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plan. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, It's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah sat there, and he, you know, is outside the city. A plant springs up, provided shade for him. And then as God is dealing with Jonah, he would send God a worm, and the plant ended up withering. And the sun's beating on Jonah, and the wind's blowing against him, so he becomes weak. In the summertime, you know, if you've ever been out when that wind's blowing, maybe you've been out in desert areas, and it just begins to beat against you and, and you know, just drain you and tire you. And, and there is Nineveh still standing. And Jonah, the servant of God, he isolated himself. Now he's focused on himself. He says, I, I just wish it would be better for me to die. So he's out there pouting and the wind's blowing against him and the sun beating on his head it says he wished death for himself it reminds me a little bit of elijah when he was in that cave he runs from jezebel in first kings chapter 19 and he says you know on the way down you know just the lord just kill me and 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 he ends up in that cave and the lord says what are you doing here elijah there's no one left to, uh, all, everybody's a false prophet, and there's no one left to follow you. And the Lord said, no, Elijah, I got things for you to do, and there's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to, to Baal. And so God was still working, and God is still working in us. And in those times where we just, in rebellious heart, or in those times where we want to isolate ourselves, and we're upset, and listen, maybe, maybe even... Tonight, somebody's listening, and maybe you're upset at God because he's working in a way that you don't like. And, and the winds of, of anger are blowing against you, and you know the, the heat is on you, and you just feel like giving up. Listen, trust in the Lord. Trust in him. And notice that God, as he prepared things, again, he prepared a large fish for Jonah, he prepared a plant for Jonah. He also prepared this worm because he loves us. And he's dealing with Jonah in his heart. And he prepares things for us to show us things because he's a loving God and a merciful God. He wants us to learn from him. And the only time that Jonah is happy is when the shelter came, when he's getting what he wants, when he is comfortable, when he is benefited. And I pray that we wouldn't be that way, that, Lord, I'll only, you know, be happy 
and call out to you when I get things my way, when I am comfortable, when I'm benefited, getting what I want, rather than, Lord, I need to trust in you every day. Lord, and even in those times that the winds of adversity are blowing against me and, and the, the, the heat of trials are uh, coming in, you know, and beating on me, that I need to look to you because you are still working. And you want to grow me. You want to mature me. You want to show me things. Lord, help me to trust in you. And Lord, help me to look to you, knowing that you are good and merciful. And then as we finish the book, then God said to Jonah, it is right for you to be angry about the plant. And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. You know, here's this stubborn, you know, God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which camped in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? And so here is, is God asked Jonah the same question. Um, Jonah feels justified in his anger. Well, you have pity on a plant, not on a city. And God's showing Jonah how much more I have compassion on people. And again, he says, look at all these people. And as he says, more than 120,000 persons, as uh, many believe it's just speaking of the men, the adult men's, but with, um, you know, women and children, that some believe that the population in Nineveh was up around a million people. Uh, but it was a large city, and there was a lot of people. Do we have concern for others? Or is it just about us? Do we feel like I have the right to be angry? I have the right to be full of wrath towards that person. I have the right to be unforgiving. And I know that as we read the New Testament, the Lord says that we are to be forgiving of others. And maybe tonight you're here listening and maybe you're angry at somebody and they hurt you. You know, the, the Assyrians, they were violent. They were very cruel. And Jonah's like, you know, Lord, uh, they don't deserve this. And those feelings are real. But perhaps the Lord, if we're feeling something of that, where we're being unforgiving, or we have attitude towards people that, Lord, you need to just judge them and, and you know, bring down fire upon them, whatever, that we would go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to forgive. And forgiving people doesn't mean that I'm just overlooking their sin or condoning it or, you know, what they did it wasn't a big deal. Some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt deeply by somebody. You've been betrayed. Those, those are real feelings. But to say, Lord, bit by bit, over and over again, help me to forgive so that person doesn't have control over me. And, and Lord, um, it, it doesn't mean that relationships always get healed. Sometimes there needs to be a continued you know, separation or whatever. But Lord, I don't want that situation or that person to have control over me. And I don't want that anger and that wrath and that bitterness just to consume me in my life. Or Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. Lord, that you are merciful and gracious, and I just put it in your hands. 
And one of the things that the Lord has taught me, because, you know, I can look around and get so angry about things and, and people, that, Lord, I realize <clears throat> you're very capable of judging people. But, Lord, what I am to do is give a message of hope and of the gospel. And to look at things in the eternal perspective, because eternal consequences are at stake. And Lord, you are merciful and gracious to give that message. And Lord, to be able to pray for, for those situations that people would turn to the Lord. Because look how gracious and merciful he's been to us. He's forgiven us. We deserve to be judged. We deserved hell. But we've been forgiven. And that grace and mercy is extended to others. So Jonah teaches us some very important lessons here. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. And Lord, help me to look at people the way that you want me to. Not just to, you know, only praise you or come to you when it benefits me or you're doing things the way that I think that you should. But Lord, to look to you, who is a wonderful, gracious God, to guide me and direct me every day of my life and to see people, Lord, the way that you do. The way that you do. To love people. To, to be concerned for people, to have compassion that is extended to people. And so, Lord, thank you for this, this book, this story that's so familiar, but so many wonderful lessons. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons of Jonah. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us because uh, we can have a heart that is full of anger or very judgmental. And Lord, we don't want your grace and mercy extended to perhaps that person or these groups of people. But Lord, we need to keep it in your hands. And Lord, we have a message to give. A message of grace and of Jesus' provision of forgiveness on the cross at Calvary and hope of salvation that comes through a heart that turns. And Lord, we know that the people of Nineveh at this time turned. They, they humbled themselves they make confession. They turn from their evil ways. And they, they, Lord, would fear you. And they would throw themselves on your compassion and on your mercy. And Lord, I pray for us. Are there things that we need to repent of? That we would humble ourselves and confess it. If there's wrong attitudes or unforgiveness or if there's sin in our lives. And that we would turn from our, our evil ways. And we would turn to you, Lord. And cry out to you. So Lord we thank you. That you're merciful and gracious to us. And Lord you want to extend that. To all those who would come. And turn to you. So Lord thank you. I pray you bless everyone here tonight. We look forward to meeting on Sunday. As we continue in Matthew. And it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Hey God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.